the, then the thing that really sets me off is, well, once we have a vaccine, then everything will go back, back to normal. To normal. Yeah. And I say, <laughs> you mean like the flu vaccine that's 8% effective? Doesn't work. I catch if, I mean, if I had a brake pad manufacturing company for cars and my brake pads were 8% effective, I would be out of business. George Floyd was not taken out because he was black. George Floyd was taken out because he was owed major drug money by Derek Shaven. When you're making vaccines that are 8% effective for the flu that you have to change every year, which, by the way, give most people that take them the flu. Mm -hmm. And you're going to tell me that this new, and they can't sue, you can't sue them for this without going through the VAERS court, which is a joke. And you're going to tell me that once we have a untested, brand new, rushed through vaccine, then everything is going to go back to normal? Good luck with that. I'll tell you what, they're going to test it in Africa, like they're doing, kill a bunch of Africans, pay them off $1,000 per person, which is the maximum that they have to spend if they kill somebody. So they already know that because it's way cheaper to kill them there than kill them here found out what the Chinese Communist Party, the Red Dragon, is doing to these people and have been doing to these people for the last 20 years in China, sending hundreds and thousands of innocent Falun Gong practitioners, Uyghur Muslims, house Christians, and Tibetan Buddhists. Particularly 95% of um, the victims of Falun Gong practitioners to be state-mandated hospitals, concentration camps, death camps, military facilities, uh, military facilities run by the Chinese military at the behest of the, of the highest-ranking officials of the Chinese Communist Party to create a, a legal, sanctioned, forced organ harvesting business. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Defender podcast. We are coming to you from the greatest country in the world, deep in the heart of the Lone Star State, Dallas, Texas. I'm your host, Paul Aguilar. We really appreciate you guys stopping in. If you guys are catching us on YouTube, please make sure that you guys hit that subscribe button as well as hit that bell icon. Uh, make sure you guys hit that thumbs up as well. That'll really help us out with the algorithm. Uh, if you guys are catching us on the go and want to check us out, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio at Truth Defender Podcast. Um, we're we're going to go ahead and link all the social media platforms below, but you can catch us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Rumble. We also have a Discord uh, if you guys want to check us out. And if you guys have any questions or comments for myself or a guest, you can send us an email at thetruthdefender1776 at gmail.com. Our next guest is Adele Casales Rocha. She has traveled extensively to over 26 countries and has compiled accounts of terrifying and uncanny experiences in both her native country of the Philippines and abroad. Adele starred as Alisa Simone in episode two of the pilot UFOs over Earth while she was a field investigator for MUFON. Her personal experiences with the bazaar has led to a lifetime quest investigating sightings and paranormal events through eyewitness reports. You can catch her book, Portal, A Lifetime of Paranormal Experiences on Amazon as well. Uh, it's a great book. I actually have ordered it. I'm just waiting for it to get here so I can read it. Uh, but without further ado, Ms. Adele Casales Rocha. How are you doing, ma'am? Very good. Nice to be on your show, Paul. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Um, yeah, so like as I mentioned before we started recording, um, my wife's from the Philippines, and I discovered you um, – as I was trying to get her to relay stories about the Philippines, anything that she had, like um, of any kind of ghosts or like any kind of UFO stuff or anything, 
Um, but my wife's not too much into that kind of stuff. So she didn't really have anything for me, but um, I decided to do my own research and I came across your book as well. Um, and I caught you on coast to coast. So that was great. Um, so I just wanted to just reach out and see if you can go ahead and relay you know, some stories for us here. Um, but first, before we get to that, um, do you have any kind of social media where anybody can find you? Like, um, I'm Twitter? actually on Twitter under the same name, but I'm also uh, pretty prominent on Facebook under the same name, sure. which is actually my pen name. Uh, I have a very different uh, name in person. Sure. Uh, I put together this name for the express purpose of people being able to pronounce it. And sometimes it doesn't work that way, but I'm glad you perfectly pronounced it. Right, Thank right. you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can start off by how you came about writing this book. Um, I know I had read some of the inserts about them being personal experience, you know, like stories that you have encountered over the time, like, like over the years. Um, how did that come about and how did you get into writing the book? Well, it, it, it's a very um, interesting beginning. I actually didn't mean to write this book. Hmm. Um, I, I, I had a very extensive history having been born and raised in the Philippines. Right. I didn't emigrate to the U.S. until I was 13 years old. Uh, before I moved to the U.S., I had a series of encounters, and actually my entire family had a series of encounters. Um, and it, this is interesting, Paul, because of all the shows that I have done, uh, radio and podcast, I'm actually going to do a little revelation here that I've never revealed before mm -hmm. uh, in previous uh, guest appearances that I have done. Uh, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, I retired uh, from a school district uh, back in June, and that was actually uh, a retirement that began in March because of the COVID, the pandemic. Right. Uh, so we were prematurely sent home. Sure. So I have been home for almost a year now, uh, kind of like, quote unquote, lockdown. Right. Um, and after having done all those shows, I decided I'm just going to be very frank. And just let people know, um, this book, which I do have a copy of for the right. purpose of this show here, um, I would say about half of it is actually autobiographical. Uh, and what I mean by that is all the experiences, which I referred to in the character of Lisa. Uh, for those of you that have not read it, there is a character who starts off as a two-year-old child. Right. Uh, in the first few chapters of the book, I refer to her as Lisa. Uh, Lisa was born and raised in a small suburb, what was then a very tiny suburb uh, outside of Metro Manila. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with the Philippines, um, if you just kind of take your finger, go to a globe or Google Earth in this case, and if you look for China, which is pretty huge. Mm -hmm. uh, what you're going to find is you're going to go to the right of China and right across uh, where the South China Sea is, you're going to see a tiny little country that's about the size of England. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is probably, I would say, semi-attached, not quite attached to Indonesia on the south. That is the Philippines. And if you look at the head of it, to me, it looks kind of almost like a, uh, a dog that's sitting with mm. one arm or one leg extended. If right. you look at the dog's eye, that's where Manila is. Um, 
I was born and raised in a town that's probably about, I would say, an hour uh, outside of Manila. Uh, that town was the site of a lot of um, World War II incidents. Right. Uh, that, that's probably kind of like a polite way of saying it. There's massacres that occurred there. There's a lot of um, soldiers who were killed uh, on both sides, actually, Filipino and Japanese. Sure. Uh, in that little town of San Juan, there were unofficial burial, burial grounds. There were people who uh, got buried there and bodies were never discovered. Um, and that's where the stories begin in my book. Mm. So for those of you uh, who are curious about the book, the, the book is totally nonfiction. Every single story in there is true. Um, even later stories in the book, which is not necessarily about me or my family, uh, are from people from all walks of life who have encountered beings. And I put this together, um, not just for uh, ghosts and cryptids, there's also UFO encounters in there. Uh, there's a few stories about people who were abducted or people who feel like they were abducted. So it really is going from like, this little town in the Philippines where all these hauntings and demonic infestations happen all the way to something local, actually, just about seven miles away from me. And I'm not going to name the town. Sure. So I started because I started actually um, as a UFO investigator for MUFON, which is one of the largest organizations in the U.S. that deal with UFO investigations I came upon that accidentally because a friend of my husband's was actually studying to be an investigator. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> as, as being an investigator, he had a book that he had been studying for an exam. We happened to be there for dinner and I looked at the book and I said, boy, this is very, very interesting because I was already into it pretty sure. much. Next thing I know, I am ordering the same binder. I am studying it. I took the test, passed the test, and uh, I was launched out there. Right. So some of the stories in the book is as a result of those most prominent cases that I encountered. That's how I got started. Awesome. And, and, and how, I mean, so obviously UFOs are like a worldwide thing. Um, but, you know, speaking, I spent a little bit of time in the Philippines uh, I want to say a little bit of time. It was about like a month and a half. I actually stayed there, but um, I can't get any kind of stories out of anybody out of the Philippines regarding UFOs. Or is it like a like a big thing out there? Or is it kind of not as much? Or or is it just the culture? Nobody wants to really talk about it. That's you know that's what I found really. That's yeah. an excellent question because um, it, it's interesting that you asked that because when I was growing up, it seems like it's a taboo topic. Right. Uh, but culturally, because we're more into ghosts and spirits and hauntings, any kind of anomalous event like that, even lights in the sky, my, my own personal encounter with it is that people explain it away as some type of being or some type of um, ghost. Right. Um, you know, because it's a very religious country, and you probably know it's 99.9% Roman Catholic, right. we tend to ascribe, and I know the elders do as well, that it could be something that's demonic or something that's not holy. Mm -hmm. um, lately, though, uh, I think in the past 20 years, there has been a movement 
uh, of a Filipino association that has come together to investigate um, these events and encounters as actual you know, beings from outer space right. or from another dimension. Uh, I believe they're still together. They're still functioning as such. Um, you know, they, they kind of became official. They're also a volunteer corps, just like MUFON, uh, smaller in scale. But right. I believe that they're doing all the type of investigative techniques that MUFON did. Right. Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely interesting. And I can speak to that as well as as like on the religious side of it. Um, it's a lot of the stories that I would hear, you know, like from my wife and some of like her family as well. Um, it's, I mean, like I said, I spent some time out there and it was, it was hard for them to tell me any kind of stories or for me to find anything out because I was actually actively trying to figure out, you know, if anybody had any kind of stories and it's like a lot of local like legend stuff. Like you hear a lot of stories about like a swang or like my, yes. my family there we had an instance why I had an instance here in the States a while back that, that they attributed to me getting an Usog. If anybody's oh. familiar with that as well, yes. um, I got extremely <laughs> sick off of that as well. And that's, they were just like, Oh, you got a freaking Usog. And I was like, what does this, that even mean? Right. But you know, they kind of explained the whole thing to me. But there's a lot of like weird, no, not weird. I guess weird to me. Cause I'm not from there, but a lot of like stories like that and like weird sayings or like weird, traditions and things that I just don't didn't understand like you shouldn't go take a shower after you get home like you know from work because you'll get sick and you have to wait like a few yeah. hours before you jump in the shower and I was just yeah. like, you know it's like if it's, you know for me or for anybody else that's not from there you wouldn't understand like why but there's a lot of little things like that out there and it's just interesting you know I we haven't spent I haven't spent a whole lot of time out there. We plan to go back maybe next year, but um, it's, and for me, you know, the reason why I want to go back there is just to kind of investigate more of like all these stories about ghosts and, you know, all these like weird things out there. Um, And it's extremely interesting. And like you mentioned, a lot of that goes back to like world war II and all that stuff. Um, And there's definitely a lot of stories about like, like hauntings like that because of that. Uh, it's extremely interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of um, background. Uh, the folklore, I believe, in the Philippines stems from people encountering right. uh, what we would call elementals here as well. Uh, I remember my grandmother telling me, if you go in the backyard and you encounter a small hill, mm-hmm. uh, don't kick it. Don't try and dig it out. Don't level it. Don't touch it because dwarves or elves live in them, Um, which comes to a story that's later on in my book where that kind of event precisely happened. I won't give it away and I won't, you know, spoil it, Uh, but it it does allude to the presence of elementals um, or what they call nature spirits. Because the Philippines still has wild areas, uh, probably even wild areas that are unexplored, in the fringes of all different islands, different provinces in Luzon, I would imagine that those things harbor a lot of creatures, beings that are interdimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you disrupt wherever they're living, they do come out and wreak vengeance, you know, in one way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one of the things I've noticed is that when there is tragedy, uh, for example, there, there is one event in particular uh, in a township called Los Banos. Mm. Uh, if you're familiar with, and, I, and I'll say it, there's a major university in Los Banos. It used to be an internment camp. It was actually in a university, but then in World War II, the Japanese used its gymnasium as a site to imprison soldiers. Uh, they put them in the basement of all places of the gymnasium. Right. Uh, they were chained. They were tortured. Uh, some of them were beheaded. Uh, it is a very active area. I actually flew out to visit friends and relatives uh, in the area. I ended up staying probably about 15 minutes away from the campus of this university. Uh, and what I discovered just from, you know, talking to people was that there were real, real hauntings there almost on a nightly basis. Right. Now, Paul, I don't know if you've been or know of the one I'm talking about. I don't want people to cluster there, but. <laughs> it's a, I think I know of it. I've never okay. been out to, I mean, you know, like, like I mentioned the time that I spent out there. So my family's from Das Marinas. That's, you know, oh, that's okay. where they live. Um, so, mm -hmm. but I mean, outside of that, I mean, we spent a lot of time in Manila, uh, up in the mountains and stuff like that, but nothing too like out, like far away from like the main cities or anything like that. Is that, do you find that, or is it kind of widespread, but is it more like on the outskirts, like in the smaller towns? Because I didn't really hear too much about anything like in the major cities, you know, like if, if any kind of activity uh, or anything. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think that's universal all over the world is sure. that when you have a major metropolis, uh, noise, music, the presence of scores of people right. tend to discourage any kind of a sighting. First of all, they don't like light. They don't like music. Uh, it's the lonely, far-off little places, right. those lonely lanes where there's probably just one or two people walking. Mm. Um, a lot of these things happen in the dead of night. Uh, what I've noticed is somehow once the sun goes down, anything can happen. Right. Uh, and a lot of the stories in the book are actually in the evening. There's one story where uh, this young girl sitting in the living room and off to the left of her, the door is open and the door connects to a driveway to the outside of the house. Uh, perfectly nice living room, perfectly serene. You know, you could kind of hear some of the neighbors as they're going on about their business. But once the light starts to fade and the twilight descends, she looked at the side of her eye, just in time to see a man jump over the gate. And she heard the man's slippers, mm. what we call flip-flops, beach walks. Yeah, a little <laughs> Hit the cement uh, of the driveway next to her. So she turns and she sees this guy who's wearing this long white sleeveless shirt. He looked emaciated. He was completely gaunt, like as if he hadn't eaten in weeks. And he just darted off all the way to the backyard. And this was at twilight. 
and she dashes to see if someone had broken into the house and whatever it was just disappeared. So yeah. you, you've got these things that kind of like come out in the dead of, you know, at twilight or in the dead of night, those types of things. Um, would that happen if there were scores of people, if there was music going on? I have yet to hear of one where it happened that way. Yeah, it's always convenient for them in a way, inconvenient for us because there's no way to prove if you're the only one there that you know something happened to you unless there's a whole, like a whole group of people to see it. Um, and it, it always seems to happen that way, which is unfortunate. But it's um, how so how how I guess. Is exorcism a big deal in the Philippines? Because, uh, I mean, I've, I've heard stories of it happening, not as much. I mean, like in Mexico is where you hear where there's like the most exorcisms like in the entire world. But is, is do exorcism happen in the Philippines like often? I'm sure it does, Paul. I don't know to what extent. Um, I got the impression that it was one method. Uh, right. And I know that the Roman Catholic Church does take that very seriously. Um, how successful they are in the Philippines, I don't know. I don't know that there's officially a number of exorcists uh, that live in the Philippines. My understanding is that it's a very specialized. Um, you have to be highly trained right. in order to perform the real kind. Um, and then there's, you know, the whole myth of the what they call a mankukulam which is someone who casts a spell on someone. And right. the implication there is that the person who's casting the spell is a witch. Right. Um, but I, I don't know that there's much that goes on in terms of a formal exorcism. Right. Um, it, it, in Italy, I know that there's a whole set of priests that have been trained. And my understanding is, and I don't know what the source of the information was, but I think about five years ago, I was told that there was a greater and greater number of people uh, that were being exercised in the um, Italian area. Yeah, I know so. it's, a, it's a huge issue um, in Mexico. You know, they, the Pope has been out there twice, I think, just to address like, you know, the whole thing of, of you know, because they, they worship saints that aren't like part of the Catholic religion, you know, out there. So they have a lot of exorcisms that they have to do out there because of it. And it's like, it's getting into a real huge issue, especially now that everybody's locked down and a lot of people aren't working and there's no money going around. There's a lot of like crazy things going around around the world yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And I guess to speak to that, is it, I'm curious as to, if cases have gone up now because everybody's locked down and everybody's starting to see things or everyone's starting to lose their mind out there. But um, have you noticed any kind of uptick in any kind of like activity as far as UFO or ghosts or anything like that here recently? I, I don't, I'm not sure that there's much of an uptick per se. I know once in a while there are sightings and things of that nature. Uh, I'm trying to think of an article that I recently read and I think it was either Twitter or Facebook. Um, where there are certain areas, I think there's one in Florida that was a sighting recently. Um, I'm trying to think in terms of ghosts, if there's been anything that's an uptick. I, I didn't get that sense 
Although I would, you know, that's interesting to research to see if there's been, because all over the world, there's a lot of rapid changes, as you know, that's going on. Um, not all negative, but also positive and out of a spiritual nature. Um, going back to possession, I mean, there is a case in my book that is actually one of not so much a possession, but I would say an infestation. And I think that the idea of demonic entities uh, taking over people right. has been with us since the beginning of time, yep. since man has had, you know, the ability to choose, uh, since he's become more and more materialistic, uh, or maybe easily swayed by things um, that are not necessarily, you know, from the bright side of life. Right. Uh, people who were chronically depressed tend to attract what they feel, uh, you know, that idea of whatever positive energy you have attracts positive, negative attracts negative. Right. I, I do believe that exists. I do believe that that is potent enough. I think our feelings are enough to make us attractive to right. whatever is out there that is similar in in a, in the way we are right um but i'm not getting a sense that it's necessarily all negative that's happening right now i think that there's a lot of good changes a lot of things are being brought to light so and i won't talk political <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll leave that for another time um yeah. yeah so it's it's like i'm a firm believer that if enough people think about something, they can like wish it into existence, right? So like, say somebody, yes. you have like these mass sightings, let's say of like cryptids or something, and, and it's something that like never existed before, but all of a sudden you have like hundreds of people saying that they see the same thing. And then all of a sudden it's like a big thing, right? Um, here in the yes. States, I guess recently we had the Slender Man was one of those things that was solely created online. But then yes. after like a year or so, all of a sudden, everybody was seeing them like in the woods or like at home and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and has anything like that happened in the Philippines where there's just like something that you knew wasn't there maybe last year? And then all of a sudden, everybody's like seeing it, you know, around their neighborhoods or stuff like that. I don't know that there was, but there are instances. Uh, and I will tell you, one of the stories that's most pronounced in my book has to do with an entity uh, that people have talked about from different angles. Uh, one angle is that it's a thought form. Mm. And if you look at the uh, Buddhist religion, if you look at the concept of a tulpa, tulpa yeah. uh, th that is a manifestation of someone's thought energy into something that you can actually see three-dimensionally. Uh, and when I say three dimensional, I mean, you can other people can actually see the being. It's right. kind of like the um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Harvey experiments where everybody mm -hmm. concentrated and yeah. suddenly there he is. It's it's I think it was a rabbit in this case. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was one where there was like this, um, you know, very friendly monk that they created. It was it was a monk. He was garbed, you know, as a monk. He. He had the whole trappings of the cowl and everything, and he was friendly. That was something supposedly that lasted for several months. Hmm. Um, in the Philippines, there was an entity that looked a lot like Mothman. Right. 
Okay. Uh, and for some of my family members who are listening, they probably will recall uh, this particular event. Um, some people have seen this uh, Mothman-like creature. It stands about anywhere from seven to nine feet tall, from my understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has the wings of a bat. Uh, don't have nightmares. No, it has no. the face of a cow. <laughs> and face of a cow. Eyes, mm-hmm. Yeah, the face of a cow and the eyes of a goat. Um, your classic demonic energy with the goatee, uh, the eyes that are yellow and pointed, um, the sense of menace that, that accompanies the sighting. So these are tropes of something that could be demonic. On the other hand, it could also be produced by a person who was severely depressed. Right. Uh, it showed itself to the person for several months. Um, and, and the person actually got to the point where they felt like they had to end their life just to avoid the creature. So there's, on the one hand, the Roman Catholic Church, who's saying this is a demonic entity. This is something that can be regarded as an infestation of one human being. Um, And then there is the other side of it, where they say it's a tulpa. It's a thought form. It was that particular person's energy, negative energy, that eventually built this creature up. Um, it does show malignancy uh, in the sense that there were two other people who witnessed whatever it was. It was hovering outside the window. Mm. Um, one of the things that made me think it was actually a disembodied uh, ghost or whatever it could be was that it would fade when you took a cross mm. and put it against the window and mm. it would kind of fold itself up like as if it was a vampire trying to shield its eyes from a crucifix. Yeah, that's, it's definitely the whole mothman with the head of a cow. That's, that's definitely something I never heard of before, but that's when you just think about it, that, I mean, if you were to catch that looking in your window, I would freak out, you know, (laughs) it's it's definitely something, (laughs) it's crazy. And so it's like, so unfortunately it's, I know the Philippines is kind of riddled with like suicide. And I've I've noticed that over the years, um, you know, there's a lot of instances like that in in our family, you know, from, from the family members that live out there still. Um, How does, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed that as well, but I've heard tons of stories of people that we know that, have committed suicide out there is it just something that happens out there because it's just like a level of poverty is just it plays like a big role out there as well and that you know that kind of feeds into the whole like demons and stuff like that that actually well, live out paul, there. i i think paul we can approach that from several different angles right um there's the theory that sometimes people are born Uh, having some kind of psychiatric condition that predisposes them to become depressed and eventually take their own life. Um, The other side of it is if you see how, and you're young, you haven't seen this, um, back before World War II, uh, we've gone through so many good precedents. And once again, I'm trying to avoid politics, but sometimes it's not avoidable as you could tell um when when we had Kesson, who was a a wonderful president 
Um, we had Magsaysay, uh, we had Osmeña, we had quite a trope of very good presidents where the Philippines was in a position economically that rivaled Japan. Actually, we were surpassing Japan in trade, uh, gross national products, you name it, we were up there. Right. You could see it in the clothing of the people. You could see it in the way the streets are paved, uh, clean, very orderly. Um, the kinds of foods that we produced, the kinds of products we exported, the kinds of things that came into the country, um, you know, European products, things of that, you know, you, you know, this probably the Mercedes Benzes from Germany mm-hmm. were used as taxi cabs. Right. Um, but as time went on, and I, I won't say which president brought it on. <laughs> That's not the topic of this. But as time went on, uh, you will you have witnessed, and I am still witnessing, um, a decline of a country. Uh, and, and I'm sure it's multiple factors, not just one factor. Uh, but you're seeing hardship. You're seeing more and more people um, that used to, you know, used to party on a regular basis. And I don't mean like three or four people. I'm talking like huge weddings, uh, huge birthday celebrations. Um, that were lavish, mm-hmm. uh, recede down to a much lower level of lifestyle. So I think that's one element that's causing the suicides, the difficulties um, in trying to make a living or maybe not even finding enough work. So that's one corner of it. The other piece of it, too, is that because we are very religious, um, I think sometimes people kind of rely, and and I'm not saying this to demean people who are religious, because I myself, I'm very religious, but sometimes we rely on an outside source to change or protect us from, let's say, poverty or illness. And if for some reason that doesn't happen, we we fall into despair as a nation. And so I think that's another source, perhaps, of depression and then eventually suicide. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's, I mean, I, I've seen, especially now, you know, that the whole lockdowns happen and stuff around the world. I mean, obviously that's happening more on a worldwide scale, um, you know, here in the States as well. There's, oh yeah, I forgot, you know, which story I was reading, but there's probably going to be more deaths, you know, from suicide than the actual virus itself. And mm-hmm. a lot of people losing jobs and they're just, they can't afford to pay rent or like even feed their families and stuff. So it's unfortunately going to probably hopefully we're past like the worst part of it, but, you know, here for a while last year, it was pretty rough, like on everybody, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially when, when, when the whole lockdown started, we were we kind of figured maybe a month, maybe two months and we'll be out of it. You know, it's going to be all right. But as, as time dragged on, you know, like over the year, it was, it was just getting worse and worse. And yeah, I mean, I, I would be, if I were to say that I didn't feel any kind of like, like like a little bit of, of depression and you know stuff like that while we were in lockdown you know I'd be lying because I think for everybody we all kind of felt that way like when are we going to be able to leave our houses again when are we going to be able to go out and do whatever we want and it was just mm-hmm. it was rough and I was a lucky one where I didn't lose my job you know I was still working through the whole thing from home and all that stuff which was great but yeah it's I have no doubt that that fed a lot of it you know worldwide um, but unfortunately mm-hmm. there was a lot of yeah. Uh, you know, other things like that, but yeah. And, and the fear, the fear is a huge thing. Yeah. 
when you have you have the TV set pummeling you with the same information night after night after night, and and people caught on fairly quickly. I don't know if you noticed that that they realize if I shut off the TV and yeah. I don't watch the news, I'm not necessarily going to know how many have passed away, et cetera, et cetera, because it's pushed people. I I believe. Uh, this particular pandemic, and, and we have this every hundred years. This is not the first one. Not that I've lived through one, right, right. Um, and I'm sure you haven't. So, no, yeah. <laughs> but every one hundred years, we have a new virus that gets introduced into the planet. This, I believe, is either the 29th or the 30th virus. If you notice, all the other ones are not being noticed anymore. You have to try pretty hard to get the Spanish flu these days. Yep. Uh, I think even if you ate dirt, you're not going to get the Spanish flu. And that was just 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, so now we have COVID-19. What does that suggest? There should, must have been a COVID-1, 2, 3, 4, all the way to 18, somewhere along the line. Um, this one is intimately connected to SARS, which, mm. you know, I think came from uh, chickens, from mm. what I recall. Um, this one tends to really scare people. And I think the medium for that is the kind of way it's presented in the news. And it reminds me quite a bit of, you know, when, when things are all serene and even and no one is rocking your boat, you reach for that scary book to entertain <laughs> you. You reach for that suspenseful book, that mystery yep. to kind of titillate you to a level where you feel like, ooh, you know, this is exciting. I'm not seeing too many people reach for that suspenseful book anymore or that mystery or the, you know, the mass murderer type of genre because they have enough fear right. in their lives. So in that undercurrent, you know, while they're working, there's always in the back of the head, the idea of I better have my mask on or you have the opposite effect. Ah, you know, that's not going to affect me. I don't right. have to wear a mask. Right. So and then all the different things, all the different polarities, you know, this one's believing this, this one's believing that, you know, the political affiliations, things of that nature, everything kind of just gets dredged up. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. And you would think from what you hear on the news and from everybody else, you would think that there was everybody was dying in the streets from it. But I mean, it, you know, I don't know what it's like up there, but here, you know, where I live, it's not. It just doesn't, it's just not a big thing out here. I mean, yeah, we still have to wear masks to go into like stores and stuff, but, mm -hmm. but it's not like you don't have like crazy people on the streets like yelling at people like you better put your mask on or like, you know, like, like you see on the news, yeah. it's, it's not, I mean, I live in a small town out here, so it's not that, that big a deal, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. And then, you know, I'm speaking to a lot of people, it's not going to get, any better anytime soon was there's not going to be like one day where we're just where they just tell us all right you can just not wear masks anymore you guys can go out it's probably never going to go away we're going to be like this for a long time you know it's we're just going to have to like incorporate it into our daily lives now and it's just always going to be here but hopefully everybody catches it and they get over it you know and then and then we'll be fine but yeah it's it's not going to go away anytime soon <laughs> it's unfortunate <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm not speaking as a scientist by any chance or a researcher or someone who's into epidemics, but, you know, I've been told by a number of people lately, you know, every virus goes through variants, right. they mutate, that's the nature of a virus. Uh, and I think it doesn't help when the news hypes it up like as if this is the very first virus that has variants 
that has mutations yeah. that somehow oh we're done for it, it's natural and yeah. what, what i mean by that is don't undermine it of course you know use the precautions that you would use double mask and things of that nature but this happens every hundred years right. um what what for i i'm not sure i mean i'd rather not get into that because i know there's a lot of uh, different types of people who are talking uh, what is what is the reason for why we're standing still? And, and that's what's happening right now. We're just kind of standing still. But since the whole world is standing still, I think they should read my book. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. We need something to get our minds off of what's going on nowadays. Yes. Um, it's unfortunately it, it took a pandemic for me to start reading books again. And uh, I was like kind of hanging around the house and I didn't have much to do. And I was like, oh, I'll just start reading books. And it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, because nowadays everybody just has like YouTube and everyone's on Facebook and nobody has time to pick up a book anymore or even want to, you know, our, our attention spans are so short that if it's not it's like, true. like in 30 second yeah. clip, I don't want to see it or, you know, so it's, it's unfortunate, but highly suggest that everybody sits down one day and starts reading books or whatever they can. It's, it'll, it'll take your mind off of a lot of things and it's, it's a great way to spend some time or even just speak to your families. Cause I know a lot of people out there don't hang out with their families anymore. And this was probably one of those, like one of the benefits of the virus, you know, a lot of people were just kind of running around prior to like working or doing their own thing. And then now they were forced to stay at home with their families and like hang out with their wife or hang out with their kids. That's, mm -hmm. that was the plus side of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting because, you know, before this, we had people just running willy nilly, you know, oh, well, let me eat dinner first and then I'm off. Let me do this. And so on. The kids are all staring at their cell phones. And now these days it's like, yeah, you have no choice. You got to, you know, stay at home and eat and do whatever you need to do to be together. Uh, it, it's a great time to pause and reflect. Um, you were mentioning books and I know there's some books out there that are pretty thick novels. Yeah. Uh, and you have to kind of maintain concentration. I know that I have a little bit of ADHD. And when I wrote my book, I thought about people who probably won't have time to really immerse themselves into mm -hmm. one long story. So what I did with mine is I cut them off so that every few chapters, there was a different story. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it, it rivets your interest because it, it's a quick read. Uh, you get the substance of it in a few chapters, and then you move on to a different type of uh, haunting or maybe a UFO sighting. Um, you know, there's some that are local that are mm -hmm. here in Pennsylvania, where I'm based. Um, and then there are some that are overseas. Right. Uh, and of course, the beginnings of the book were all in the Philippines. Um, and it's all rooted in the idea of a country who has seen so many wars and particularly World War II. Right. And it, it's interesting. So so when it comes to the Philippines, is are the cryptids any different from what we have maybe here in the States? Is there like a lot of water monsters because you guys are way out there? Is there not like, you know, I know you described the Mothman looking creature, but is there any maybe kind of particular ones that are only from the Philippines that we wouldn't get out here? Well, I don't know if there is such a thing as a capre, K-A-P-R-E. Okay. I know that when I was young, I was told, don't go in the woods in the dark because you will meet the capre. 
And it's supposed to be a creature that comes out of a tree Hmm. and lives in the tree, kind of like an elemental, but it is terrifying. It actually looks kind of like reptilian almost. It's very tall and it's got the huge eyes. And um, there's a story in the book that actually deals with that, a family that's eating dinner uh, and one side of their dining room actually opens out into a dark courtyard. Hmm. Um, it's funny because when you're seeing these things, you don't necessarily see the whole entire body. Right. You're just seeing like, you know, they're in the dark. So they're kind of shaded. Um, you also have the, I don't know if you've heard of the smoking man. Yeah. He usually wears a hat. He is in shadow and you see cigarette smoke. Right. Where So it seems like he's a silhouette, you know? So how is he different from something like a Capri? You can't really see a clear definition of these things. So those I've seen, I've heard of here in the U.S. Right. I have seen them in the Philippines. The Capre, I don't know if they're something that actually seen here in the U.S. or in Europe for the matter. Uh, I know in the Philippines they have been seen. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, like I mentioned, I I was trying to get stories out of, you know, like my wife and stuff, but um, she's had a lot of experiences when it comes to like entities, as far as maybe like like on the spiritual side. So we actually met in Bahrain. So I spent like a year out there. She was out there as well, and and she used to have a lot of like hauntings and stuff out there. Um, in Bahrain. Yeah, yeah. So like she would, she used to have like a lot of weird dreams and stuff. And then you know when, when she would wake up, she would actually see that entity like in the room or like around her as well um and so i never got any kind of stories like from her time what you know when she was in the philippines she would tell me of stories that like have happened to other people or you know stuff like that but um when it came to stories about her like it was just like overseas while she was there um which was weird but yeah it's a lot of weird things like and so like I wanted to see if you could kind of explain to me a little more what the Aswang is exactly, because I hear stories about that all the time, you know, from her and from other people, but I don't, I never get any kind of explanation as to like what it is or like how that works. Well, traditionally, the way it was explained in folklore, the Aswang is something almost like it's vampiric, okay. that it takes children and it, what it does is it takes their blood. So when you think about the uh, Dracula myth, the vampire stories that come out of Transylvania, we have that in common with the Aswang. How it physically appears, I don't know. Um, I do have a story of an Aswang in my book as well. I've got everything in there, actually. It's like the kitchen sink. Um, And in this particular one, it was about a couple whose child um, eventually was taken by one. I'm trying to remember exactly where it was. I think it was in the far reaches of the north. So if you go to Luzon, this was a vicinity that was way, way far into a very rural area where it happened because it had plantations all over. Uh, And this couple were tenant farmers. They worked the land for, you know, uh, 
what they call a landlord back then or a landowner. Um, and it, it came across to me from another source, completely different source, actually from a tourist. Uh, and then I kind of just distilled the story into what it was to try to prevent anyone from identifying who they were or their actual location. Right. What, what I do is I collect stories from all over uh, and I change the locale. I change names of people just to protect them. Right. Um, I have been still getting stories, actually, in drips and drabs, not as not as much as I have with this one. Um, basically because of the COVID, I can't travel. Yeah. So that's completely squelched. Um, when, when something comes my way, I like to be able to physically investigate what they're alleging, what they're talking about. Uh, and part of that for me is to actually interview the witnesses. Sure. Because of the pandemic, once again, I can't do that. All I can do is, you know, go there when they're not there and maybe call them on the phone, which is kind of different. It's it's one step removed from the actual real interview. So sure. that's frustrating in one way. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot of things that are happening right now. We, you mentioned earlier um, that it, is there an uptick? And, and that's a good question. I think when the pandemic is over, we'll find that there's a lot of people who have not reported anything uh, mm. for one reason or another. Yeah, so. that's definitely interesting. It's, you know, you would think maybe everyone's kind of hanging around the house and they're just starting to see more things or experiencing more things. And that's just what I would, you would probably guess would be the case. Um, and, you know, not to say that it, that it is, but it's just the world's kind of slowed down a little bit more now. And there's a lot of people at home, you know, maybe they're starting to notice things, they're outside, you know, whatever. But mm -hmm. now you would think that they'd probably probably be seen a lot more out there. And, and hopefully, like you said, once all this virus thing's over, if it's ever gone soon, but hopefully they start to report like a lot more things. And I'm sure we're going to hear stories about, you know, a lot of people ex experiencing things over their time being locked down and just like at home or, you know, stuff like that. But it's definitely going to be interesting to see hopefully it actually did happen. So that, that should be good for somebody out there when they actually get those stories and write a book about it or something. But I'm definitely looking forward to seeing if anybody comes forward, you know, afterwards. Mm -hmm. Well, Paul, I think that long ago, there was always a stigma um, <laughs> all the way to the eighties, I believe where people were really, really just filled with trepidation about reporting strange incidents, sightings, uh, um, and, and you'll be surprised when someone starts reporting, everybody else follows, yeah. because they were just waiting for that one or two people to actually say, okay, there's nothing wrong with me, right. okay, I've got a whole deck of cards here, and I'm going to tell you this is what happened to me. Um, you know, one of the landmark cases that, um, you know, that we've been hearing about uh, which was, um, you know, I believe it was written by Kathleen Martin, who is now a famous UFO investigator sure. of the Betty and Barney Hill case. Mm -hmm. uh, that's still being discussed on Facebook. Um, that's something that's still very prominent. Her, her book is a bestseller. I think Betty and Barney Hill was a landmark case that allowed other people to actually have the courage to come forward. Right. Um, and it, it was not just a simple, I saw a light in the sky. 
this was an encounter that lasted all night long from what I understand. Sure. So because we have more and more people coming forward, we have less reluctance. And I think it has to do with whether people are feeling that even the most conservative people will report. And if they do, then they will. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely unfortunate that, you know, everybody out there that's had some kind of experience feels that they, you know, like they can't share anything, you know, for fear of ridicule, which is unfortunately the first thing that happens to anybody who says, you know, I saw a UFO and then you get those people out there that are like, oh, you're crazy. Maybe you saw something else or, you know, and it's unfortunate because there's a lot of people out there that have like real stories, real good stories too, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, how many people have actually gone to the grave, you know, with their stories because they were just more afraid of what other people were going to think than, you know, yeah, we're afraid and, of and the you think thing. about it too is that when they are working, um, if their employer mm. um, hears about it, yep. what's going to happen to them as a result of that? Uh, so you're going to see a lot of people who are in highly respected positions becoming more reluctant to explain something of that nature. Yeah, it's so it's, so. it's, a, it's unfortunate in that case because I know, so I spent. I spent some time in the military and I know a lot of people in the military that I was in there with that have some great stories, but they would never say anything because they're still in the military right now. And, they, yeah. you know, they don't yeah. want to get sent to freaking medical or, you know, for some kind of psychiatric stuff. And even people that I know that I'm related to that are cops or even like other people that I know that are border patrol, you know, they would never say anything either because they're still working and they don't want to get fired or, you know, whatever. But it's it's unfortunate because i've heard a lot of their stories and they're freaking amazing and you know but they're just not out there and they probably never will be because they'll you know they'll never speak to anybody about it um you know which is sad stories (laughs) yeah yeah that's like another another side of it because they'll start making up things just to kind of not get in trouble and then you know that whole story is gone you know it's just gonna take on like a life of its own some other way and you know, we're just never going to hear the real one, but yeah, it's definitely an unfortunate. And, you know, like I said, I have a lot of people that have some really great stories. I wish that they could tell, but I don't think we'll ever, you know, we'll ever hear about them. Um, you know, and some of, some of the past shows I've spoken about some of my experiences and stuff, but um, yeah, it's nowhere near any kind of the stories that they have, which, which is unfortunate. <laughs> Speaking of, um, Military, it reminds me, um, what you're saying reminds me of the Rendlesham Forest case, which is in England. And uh, there's the official story uh, from people who were actually there that walked through the woods and actually touched the object that landed. Um, You know, they saw the writings on the side of the hull. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had the electromagnetic uh, reactions to the object. it's very interesting their account versus another person's account who will go unnamed who apparently was not there from what I understand so you're going to get the one that's the legitimate story which is the fact that based on actual experience and then you're also going to get the one that's more fiction and I think with ufology the tough part is trying to weed the wheat from the chaff trying to find the legitimate story and then the one that's just blowing smoke. 
And I think that's what incriminates ufologists is when you have these people who, <laughs> you know, go into their crystal ball and figure I'm going to get some fame here. Uh, and I'm not saying everybody is after that. Maybe they think they saw something. Maybe they feel that they have encountered something. I don't know. Um, but I think for the most part, you have to really scrutinize the information uh, and get collaborative evidence. The more people see something, the more people encounter the same thing, the more validity you're going to get. Right. Um, it, but some of these things don't lend themselves to things of that nature. And that's what makes it difficult. Right. It could be that that person encountered it because, as we said earlier in the show, they were alone and these things tend to happen in remote places. Right. Um, but like the Hudson Valley sightings where you had a whole slew of people, it, it was almost like every block there was something happening on this road, on this highway at this time. That's undeniable. Right. That's obviously right. a flap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate. It's so like, so I guess in Pennsylvania is, is there, has there always been like a kind of history of like, major ufo sightings or is it just kind of here and there you know like everywhere that's else? an interesting question and paul i'm glad you mentioned that because uh in 2008 uh when i was just freshly trained as an investigator we had a flap oh. uh it was centered in bucks county which is on the very south southeastern fringe hmm. almost close to the new jersey border of pennsylvania right. so this is a very small county um and in that intensity, we were looking at over 700% increase in sightings wow. going all the way from April, all the way up to November. Right. People were actually running ragged when the organization began here in Bucks County. I think there was only maybe one or two people who investigated and yeah. it has grown since then because of the flap. And I think it's died down now, but at the time when it was happening, all hands were on deck. Right. Um, my book actually talks about the most prominent cases I came across because I was, uh, they call it the star team. Mm. And what that is, is you go on dispatch and you're actually live watching cases across your screen being reported by people as they're being typed in. Right. And what you're doing is you're monitoring, um, you know, how prominent is this that we should send someone on the ground within 24 hours. So I would call these people, I mean, real live people that just typed in the incident, and I would talk to them about what happened to them, exactly what the nature of it is. Uh, and so some of the stories are in that book, and I've distilled them in such a way to make it a little bit more, you know, visual, right. because people can't see what they see. They didn't take pictures and things of that nature. Um but yes, that was from 2008, April, all the way to November. And I think it even went close to January in some respects. Right, right. How, yeah. So how, so I have, I have friends that live um, like on the border between New Jersey, Pennsylvania, you know, like out there. How, how rural is that area? Is it, is it pretty rural? Because cause I see them going hunting out there and you would yeah. think like, I, I look at them and I'm like, you guys are from Jersey. Like you guys are going hunting, like. Uh -huh. This doesn't kind of make sense, you know, so I wanted to see how, like, how rural it was out there. It's, it's not as rural as maybe the northern, northwestern quadrant of Pennsylvania. So if you're looking at Pennsylvania, one end has Pittsburgh, the other end has Philadelphia. 
Sure. I'm in the Philadelphia corridor. Okay. The Pittsburgh area has more rural in the true sense of farmland, rolling hills. Um, it, it really is very, you've got Bigfoot up there. Right. We haven't had Bigfoot over here. Okay. Uh, not that I know of anyway. Okay, sure. we, <laughs> we have dogmen up ah, there. Yeah. We have all those creatures that because there's space yeah. You've got the predator creature, which is, you know, shows itself as transparent mm-hmm. or translucent, just like in the movie. Sure. That's also way up there. Down here, you could say it's more suburban. Mm. And in some areas, you know, you could be driving literally 10 minutes and suddenly there are no street lights. Mm. So you have pockets of rural areas. Right. You have lonely lanes. And then you've got the river, the Delaware River. Um, that's a very interesting river because of the fact um, that there's houses perhaps mm-hmm. that line along there. And then you've got cops of woods that have no one. People have seen things in the woods right. across the river. So you'll have that, but, but it's not a continuous flow of rural areas. Okay. Although there has been some really uncanny encounters along yeah. that river. Yeah. So I've been trying to get, so I have one friend in particular. Um, he, he lives out there. And so he's like an outdoorsman. Like he's always outdoors. He goes fishing, kayaking, hunting and all that stuff. Um, but now he works for the, for the forest services. Like he, you know, he's out there now he's like a ranger and stuff, but yeah. yeah so I've, I, I doubt now that I could get anything out of him, even if he'd see something, but um, I, you know, him like, I have him on my radar now even more because he's a ranger that, you know, he's going to be out there working out there. And I had always told him like, Hey man, if you you hear of anything out there, just let me know like what's going on because he's always out there. You know, like Mm -hmm. I said, he goes Mm -hmm. hunting all the time and stuff like that. So he's always in the woods, but um, now that he's going to be working for the park services, I want to know like what you see, like any kind of stories you hear out there. Um, But the question is, would he tell you? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But not officially. Yeah. So, I mean, we were, we were actually in the military together. So we were stationed together and all that stuff. And, you know, he's like a really good friend, but I told him, I was like, Hey, I know you probably don't want to say anything because you want to keep your job and you're new, but let's, let's get together or something. You can tell me like all your stories. I want you to say that it's you make up a name or something, but I want to know what's going on out there because you know, that's that area out there. I like, I know of it. And I just didn't know anybody who actually lived out there until I met him. And I didn't know like how rural it was. And you'd always hear stories of other things like out in the city, like Mothman or like Spring Hill Jack and all that kind of stuff up there. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you would never hear it until you just said that you heard stories about Dogman up there. I hadn't heard any kind of stories about that up there, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I had heard of stories about Bigfoot and stuff like that, but um, it's just, you just wouldn't think that, there would be anything out there because it's so close to the city and I just didn't know how rural it was, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's, it's definitely looking forward to hearing stories from him, hopefully about that in the future. Um, Cause I'm going to be pressing him hard <laughs> over time here. <laughs> you can't um, get him on the show though. <laughs> no, I won't be able to. I, I mean, maybe I could, I mean, we just have to block out his face or just maybe not show video. I can just interview him with his voice. You know, that's great. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. Cause I, you know, I've never visited, I mean, I've been to New York and stuff like that, but, um, you know, like those areas out there, I, I never stopped there or anything like that. 
So, I mean, the closest I've been is actually New York. And then I, I think I've been to DC a few times, but to get like up there, up there, it's now it's just kind of like, well, upstate New York is pretty rural. Yeah. Um, that's, that's weird and, too. You know, if you go towards, I'm trying to think of the, the Albany, Binghamton, uh, you're going towards, uh, the, um, the Lake Superior area. Right. And if you cross over into Pennsylvania, you're going to find the thick of the rural area. You're mm. going to see mountains and homesteads that just go on forever. Um, and at night, they're pitch dark. Yeah. Uh, there's certain areas even of Connecticut, which is a pretty small state where I'm originally from. Uh, if you go to Winstead, Connecticut, towards the fringes of the New York border, mm. um, I don't know if you're familiar with Danbury. Danbury yep. is a pretty neat little town. But if you go above Danbury, it's just all farmland. Uh, and anything can happen there. Anything yeah. <laughs> in the dead of night or, you know, and, and there's this actually a story in my book about Bigfoot, mm. um, a lady who lived alone. Uh, and she was up in Pennsylvania towards the New York border right. where it happened. So uh, is there is there any kind of creature like Bigfoot in the Philippines? I mean, there's. Oh, yeah. that's an interesting question, because, yes, there is. Yeah. Um, that came my way. I only knew about that. I was actually about maybe eight or nine years old, and I was still living in Manila. And um, a friend of mine loves comics, hmm. loves comics. We used to go to Frontier Supermarket. Either her mother would pick me up or my mother would take us. Right. We would go see a matinee. And then at the supermarket, there were stacks and stacks of uh, comics. Hmm. Um and there was one where I, I just simply just picked it up out of the blue. I thought this looked really weird, you know. Um, it was a creature that was probably seven or eight feet tall. It kind of looked like a very pale gorilla. Mm. And it was called a batan utan. Okay. Yeah. So actually, I, I haven't Googled it yet. And I've been curious. I, for some reason, I'm not remembering to do it. But. That comic strip, later on, years and years later on, sure. I saw again in a very interesting format. It's a picture, and you're probably familiar with it. It's called the Patterson-Gimlin film. Right. And it looks starkingly very much like that comic strip, hmm. but Batan Utan. So yes, I believe... Bigfoot is universal. Yeah, it's, I mean, you would think, right, because the Philippines, there's a lot of areas that are kind of unexplored still. It's like if you go up into yeah. the mountains and stuff, there's little islands and stuff like that, that, they, you know, there's nobody out there really. Um, and you would think that there'd be something existing out there. But at the same time, because it's kind of off on its own, I mean, the only way to get there is by plane or like on mm -hmm. a boat. So you, you would kind of think yeah. that it's, it wouldn't make it out there, but I mean, obviously, you know, there's all kinds of stories out there. I'm sure about it, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and you wouldn't even necessarily need to get on a plane. Like if the next time you go and visit, if you actually go down around, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the town, but if you go South from Manila, okay. Okay. And you keep going South until you hit the town of Calamba. Okay. 
Okay, go past Columba and then you start going, I believe it's going east. Right. Okay, and for, for those of us that are not too good with geography, what you're doing is you're approaching the waterline. Yeah. And if you look on Google Earth, you're going to see nothing but forest, yeah. one right after the other. And that's in the province of Laguna. That is virtually unexplored because people in the Philippines tend to cluster in towns and cities. Right. And when there isn't conveniences of electricity or plumbing, they don't go. Yeah. And developers don't want to go that far simply because people can't find work there. And the traffic makes it so prohibitive. Why would you want to live three hours away from the city? Yeah. But the interesting part is because of that, the developers don't want to go there. It's isolated and it's still pretty pristine. So there's a lot of stuff in there that's totally unexplored. Like the whole very topmost part of the Philippines is also pretty unexplored. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, you know, I don't, I don't know that developers go all the way up there. No, maybe not anytime soon. I mean, the fear of like all the, tsunamis and stuff like that that happen out there it's, it's rough yeah. you know every year there's always like one or two that are that's real bad um, mm -hmm. you know we spent a, a lot of time at Tagaytay when I was up there um, and then you get down to like um, was it Mount 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 Banahau is oh Banahau yeah yeah, yeah yep. there but I mean yeah there's a whole lot of areas like in between that that you just you kind of see people here and there you know not too much but like you said it's not like everything's explored really um have you been to mount Cristobal, the twin mountain no i haven't mm -mm. okay don't go <laughs> okay <laughs> okay that's that's a good one then yeah no I, i've okay. never been it's it's i mean we had like a whole thing planned like for last year as well but obviously everything got shut down and then this year's not gonna look so good either so i mean we're going to have to see when we can finally make it back out there, you know, hopefully next year. But, you know, cause I, like we, we got married out there. So that's, right. that's where we got married and stuff like that. So it's, you know, her family's still out there, which is great. You know, like I want to visit cause up until I met her, I had never, I mean, I heard of the Philippines, but like anything to mm -hmm. the Philippines, I didn't have any idea, you know, but at that time that we stayed there, it was great. You know, it's, yeah. It's yeah, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, and it was. Yeah, I was a hiker. It's incredible. Yeah, and like for anybody that doesn't know, like if if you have, if you've been to Mexico to like some like the smaller, I guess kind of cities on the border, it's that's what it reminded me of when I got there. Like um, when we were in Manila for like a week, um, it's just like if I was in like freaking Juarez in Mexico, which is like a border town right next to texas um yeah. in el paso it looks exactly like it like all the stalls on the side all the cars and like the people walking around all day yeah it's always yeah. just like am i in mexico like it's exactly yeah. what it yeah. felt like to me <laughs> which is great. i think it's interesting because the philippines even though it's in asia and it's right in the middle of asia right. it, it has more of a hispanic feel it has yeah. more of a latino type of vibe to it yeah. and that was exactly the same experience i had um, you know, having returned like years later, several years later, I was looking at it from the a perspective of an expat. 
Right. I wasn't looking at it from the perspective of a native anymore because I myself have changed. Right. Uh, but so I was looking at it through the eyes of a tourist and I thought, my gosh, this feels more like Colombia mm. or, you know, or Costa Rica or something like that. It, it doesn't feel like an Asian country. Yeah. And then you realize you're just, you know, like one quick plane flight to China away or Thailand or Indonesia. Japan. But yet, you know, our customs and our dress and our food, I love our food. Yeah. Uh, it's just incredible. Yeah, it's yeah, I mean, I get that feeling because of the Spanish, you know, they were there obviously, but um everyone has like a Spanish last name and you know, we yeah. speak to people and it's like what's your last name? you know whatever and it's like yeah i thought you're filipino it's like yeah i am and you know it's it's just, you know, like you mentioned the food is great i mean my my wife you know obviously makes all her food here and all that stuff but um it's it's great i mean we you know like i mentioned if when i first got there got off the plane in manila you know stuff like that and, and I, I thought i was in mexico that's what it felt like you know everybody's out there everybody's friendly everybody's nice and but the traffic is horrendous and <laughs> so we sat in traffic for hours before we can get anywhere and but, i mean it was great you know we had a whole bunch of fun and there was like plans like i said to go visit and see all the beaches and stuff like that but you know we'll have to wait i mean we could use it right now because it's like 20 degrees here right now but oh i bet yeah <laughs> you visit the beaches go to barakai that's yeah wonderful place and there's so many restaurants just all along the beach I, I was floored yeah I when we were just walking down the beach I thought one there was a German restaurant there was a Dutch restaurant there all kinds of cuisines all yeah. over the place but but just the vibe of it too it, it's just incredible and it's unspoiled yeah well Hopefully it stays that way, but it doesn't look like it. There's a lot of stuff, even though it's still kind of largely unexplored. There's there's like a lot of people moving in there, and I mean, I mean at least there was prior to the pandemic. But you know, some of the beaches they were having to clean up again because they were just like littered with trash and stuff. And oh, that's a shame. So it's hopefully yeah. it stays the way it should, and there's not like a whole bunch of people moving in. But mm. it's just like one of those things when when people discover something and they really like it, they have to bring the houses and the businesses over mm -hmm. and, and it just mm -hmm. spoils everything. But yeah. You know. So it's, and the ancestral homes, you know, yeah. it's, it's worth seeing. Um, but one thing about ancestral homes, once again, you know, you never know who passed away in there. They're very <laughs> old. Uh, my family has an ancestral home that was built in the late 1800s, still standing to this day. I still have a relative that lives there. Right. And uh, it has some interesting stories. Um, in the spine of my book, I actually have pictures um, from a bedroom in that ancestral home. Uh, and Paul, if you have a copy of the actual book, not Kindle, but the actual book book. Right. I don't totally. know if you've seen the armoire in one of the pictures. No, not yet. I'm actually, so I'm waiting for that book to be delivered. Oh, I no. I purchased it, but yeah, it's, it's on the way. <laughs> So when when you get the book, uh, I believe it's in the spine of the book. Yes, it's in the middle. Okay. I think it starts at page. I'm just going to quickly look through here. It starts at page 102. Okay. And there's pictures of different parts of this particular house that I'm talking about. Okay. Um, a lot of people who have read the book have mentioned to me what they saw in the picture. I won't tell you what they saw. Um, there's a couple of elements that's totally off. 
right. about that particular picture. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll say no more. Okay. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, we'll get it and we'll we'll look for it. We'll track yeah, it down. Yeah. <laughs> no, no worries. Well, Ms. Rocha, um, so as we come down to the end of it here, um, okay. can you, I guess, let people know where they can, are you still doing work for MUFON or is it? No, I am not with MUFON anymore. Okay. Um, I, I do have the Facebook page under okay. my name, Adele Casals Rocha. Um, my book can be purchased through Amazon. Uh, it is not available in bookstores at this point. Okay. Uh, it is now in limited quantities. It's been running on Amazon for a couple of years now. Right. Um, because of the pandemic, it has just like anything else, anything with negative content, not negative as in bad, but scary content tends to not do as well because people are stressed and fearful already. Right. But it is on Amazon as a Kindle and as a paperback. Um, I, I would say that it has a four and a half star, five star rating. Right. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, definitely, I'm waiting for it to get here. I just like, start reading it. I mean, I, you know, like I mentioned, I started picking up books like everywhere that I can and, and like all mm -hmm. our guests, like I'll buy their books and like I'll start reading it and stuff. And I mean, I have a stack of books out here that I've been reading like the past month and I don't even like get through a book before I start another one. So I'll start a book get like halfway through and then i'll start another one i'll be reading both at the same time and then it's just you know back and forth so it's sounds like me <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. it's just, i mean among yeah. other things like work school and studying all kinds of things on my own and it's just yeah it's packed wow. all day long but yeah we'll yeah get that's it. good that's a yeah. good thing keep busy yeah. Yeah, yeah, we need to. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so we can find you on Facebook, like you mentioned, and Twitter as well. I'll yep. have all the links, you know, down below mm -hmm. in the show notes for everybody. Um, but I just want to thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on with us thank today. Thank you. Yeah, for absolutely. Having me. Yes, ma'am. Um, are there any plans for any kind of books in the future? I'm hoping that once the pandemic is over, I can assemble whatever emails I've gotten from people. Um, this is also one thing I have told people in past shows that if they have an interesting story to tell, they can reach out to me through Facebook Messenger. Right. Um, you know, a, a lot of times what happens is they reach out to me, they share with me either a phone number or an email address. I'm pretty good about emailing them back and then they can compose the story that they have. Mm -hmm. I always guarantee anonymity. Um, sometimes I'll vary or change the area or the town just so people don't flock to them or, you know, um, assail them with questions when they find them on the street. Sure. Um, I also, you know, if, if it is part of the book, the sequel to the book, if it becomes part of my next book, I will send them a complimentary copy of the book. Ah, okay. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. So I highly recommend everyone grab the book because I'm actually waiting for it to get here as well to start reading it. Um, but we'll have all that linked down below in the show notes as well as social media, Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, like I said, thank you very much for your time, ma'am. I thank really you. appreciate it. I had some great stories about, you know, about the Philippines and hopefully we can all get back there one day um, sometime soon. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Everybody else, I really appreciate you guys stopping into the show as well. Um, like I mentioned before, if you guys are catching us on YouTube and you aren't already a subscriber, please, please consider subscribing for us. Um, hit that bell icon as well as that thumbs up icon as well. Um, like I mentioned before, if you guys are catching us on the go or you want to, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio at Truth Defender Podcast. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Rumble, which will have all 
link down below in the show notes. We have a Discord as well. And if you want to send us any kind of questions or comments from myself or our guests, you can send that to the Truth Defender 1776 at gmail.com. Once again, thanks a lot, everybody, for stopping in. I really appreciate your time. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy out there, stay blessed, and most of all, stay frosty. <laughs>